Hi, this is Bill Cumby. I'm with uh, First Church Ministries, uh, and we're teaching Genesis. We are in 2021. I still have not updated the little slide there, but uh, we uh, uh, have been going at this since about May, I think, of last year, April or May. And we are uh, barreling through Genesis at the rate of about uh, Genesis 20 today. So uh, a little about a, about a chapter a week on average. We're going to pick up a little. Um, but let's open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the time we have together. We thank you for your love to us. We thank you for your word, your precious word that teaches us and comforts us, instructs us, and shows us how much you love us. I just pray that we might drink in that love and that we might uh, share that love with others. And, and Lord, we pray you'll draw others to you. We pray you draw us closer to yourself. Help us love you more as we study your word. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I've wanted to teach Genesis for a long time, um, not because uh, I, I, to teach, but because if I have to teach, I have to sort of study more. And so it's been really good to go through Genesis. Um, I think Genesis is a deep foundational book of the Bible. I think we can't really truly understand the New Testament in depth without the Old Testament. Um, my professor at seminary used to say that the New Testament is only one quarter of the Bible because God said most of what he had to say earlier on. And um, I think we see in Genesis the seeds of God's love and God's redemption very clearly. We're going to really see that much more clearly as we look at um, the sacrifice of Isaac today. Um, this first screen shows uh, what I consider the key verse, 127 in Genesis. Um, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And um, we are created in God's image as a community. I think that it's, this is taught here. I think that's one of the biggest things that means to be created in the image of God. Um, knowing that God is love. Um, and that, that when we talk about love, we... we um, sometimes say that person is loving or we're loving or we have love for something uh, and the word gets misused for like too but just using it properly we may have the attribute of love but god is love god in essence cares okay and love for another um i like one of my favorite science fiction writers said uh about love love is when someone else's happiness matters more to you than your own happiness does. And so we're gonna look at God's love today, but I want us to remember we've been created in God's image to reflect that love and to have fellowship with him in love. So we go on. Um, Genesis was given uh, as Israelites left um, Egypt after over 300 years of slavery. Uh, and they were uh, freed from slavery at Mount Sinai and received the civil moral religious laws for the community. We see that Genesis is structured very well, again, um, uh, when you really start looking at some of the structure inside of, of the books of the Bible and then the books themselves and the structure within the overall covenants, um, you see that um, it's, it's like, wow, someone really knew what they were doing. <laughs> it's like, and you start thinking, oh, it's a master crafter. And it was, but it wasn't a master person crafter. The guy was the master crafter. And uh, we see here that, that we see this prologue in Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, uh, where he's giving a prologue about the story of creation. Um, again, the most scientific account, uh, not, not that we compare scripture against science. Science is not the moniker that things, everything is compared against. But when you look at the description in Genesis chapter 1 with science, um, it is definitely the most, uh, the account of creation that is the most scientific, the most orderly, the most structured, the most accurate of anything that uh, before BC, before Christ, um, uh, and even after until pretty much the year 1000 or 1200 and, and when things start evolving some more and we got a little bit more refined in the language we might use, but still the structure's there and, and our understanding um, so science does not contradict um, Genesis. Um, Genesis aligns with um, even um, even if you look at uh, some of the theories out in the scientific world, it aligns very closely with those. It does, though, assert one thing. Um, number one, it's an historical account that is accurate. And number two, that man is a special creation. 
man did not evolve from animals. Okay, so um, I'm, I'm not going to go into evolution right now, and I'm not going to argue with evolution, except to say that Scripture says that man did not evolve from an ape. Okay, they're similar, and you would expect similarity because artists use the same paints and the same strokes and the same thing, and you would expect that. But Scripture says that there was um, just one man created, and, I, and, that, and that woman came from that man, and together they are one. Okay, and that's very important because even even if you say, but we, God uh, caused the ape to evolve, you still have to have more than one, because woman was created from man. Okay, but in evolution, that by its very definition, the, there'd have to be more than one. There'd have to be a male ape and a female ape, or you know whatever, and. And so the reason I say that is because a lot of what we hold to be true, a lot of it is, is sort of assumed in Scripture that we're all one. Well, we, there isn't all this one, and you cannot be sure that there wasn't more, let's say, more than one male or one the more female in the, in the gene pool. This idea that we're all one is only true if there was a special creation such as Genesis. And God knew that, and God gave us revelation to show that we are indeed all one. There is no different, there's not different races, there's one race. Um, uh, and, and while there are different uh, genders, male and female, there's only one human, we're only one person. Um, and, and there's the equality there that can only be found again in the creation by God, that we've been, been endowed with our creator with certain inalienable rights and features. Uh, and one of those is the capacity to love. So uh, we get that in Genesis chapter 1, and then we get it into the stories. So um, these are the generations of, there's actually 10 of them. I, I call five of them primeval. That's before actually the time of Abraham. I extend a little after the flood, but um, it goes back uh, 4,000 BC, and it talks about the generations of the heavens and the earth, and Adam and Noah, and sons of Noah and Shem, and it really talks about the godly line and ungodly lines. I actually left that slide out of here. It might have been a good one to conclude last week's talk with uh, about Lot uh, on that, but uh, I didn't, and I didn't put it on this one, so maybe next week, um, to talk about how that all ties in. And then there's the patriarchal history, and these are the generations of Terah, this section right here, 1127. Um, these are the generations of Terah, which is really uh, the story of Abraham, because Terah was Abraham's father, and after the first paragraph of this section, um, uh, the next 14 chapters, I'll deal with Abraham pretty much. Uh, and that's where we are now. And so um, we're starting the patriarchal history. Very uh, important to the Jewish people as they sit at Mount Sinai, receiving the law, trying to figure out where they came from and where they're going. So um, you can look at these into, as, as a, um, a tell-us-a-story type thing too. And we've talked about this in the past that these are the stories that are passed down. They've been passed down through generations. Um, and that does not make them untrue. and does not make them have falsehood in it. Uh, again, um, we believe Moses got this at Mount Sinai, but I do believe these stories were floating around before then. And I believe there was some background on there and God sent in the record straight in Genesis about what happened in here. And so we get the story of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, um, and then the guy who lined the Seth and destruction of the world. Um, because of um, evilness, and then Noah carrying on. And um, one of the things we do see in all this is that even the godly people, the righteous people, have deep flaws in them. And we want to see that again with Abraham today. We saw it last week in spades with Lot. Um, and then there's the patriarchal history, the story of Abraham, Ishmael, Jacob, Esau, and Joseph and his brothers. And that's where we'll be going. And hopefully this will not stretch into 2022. <laughs> we'll have to see. Um, but uh, let's, uh, let's uh, go ahead and look at uh, Genesis chapter uh, 20. Um, you can review on the other thing. I, I will say this before I go on. Uh, we ended last week with Lot. Um, and uh, I just want to make sure we understand um, why that story's in there and what it means to us, okay? Uh, because it strikes deep at the heart. Uh, Jose and I have, have had discussions on this. Um, He's sitting behind the camera now looking at me, but we've had discussions on this um, off and on because it strikes against our heart to see someone that did so, so much bad stuff to be called a righteous man, to be called a godly man. 
And I think there's a, there's a part of us, I think there's, some of this is a pride issue because I, you think I could never do a lot. A lot. And, and I think one, one scripture keeps on pushing back at us saying, you're no better than the worst that you see. Okay. You're, yes, you could do that. Yes, you really could. And, and, and there's, there's a, there's a limit inside of us that says, I might be bad, but I'm not that bad. And, and there's, and, and, and so when we say God chose us because of his unmerited grace, because he loved us, not because of who we are or what we've done. And we say that, and, but we don't really believe that because we believe that we can never be quite that bad. I mean, those were really bad people and I can never ever be in that situation. I have to say that I don't think that's what scripture teaches. And, uh, and, and I think it's, a, I think it's a, quite frankly, an attitude of the Pharisee. It says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like these other men. I do this, I do that, so I don't do this, and I do that. And God wants to drive us into the repentant tax collector that says, oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so we get these stories to help remind us that it's the grace of God that has changed our lives. So um, that, that becomes important in here, too. It's uh, actually going to play out, and we'll see that... Um, not this week, but in a couple of weeks, that the sins of the fathers play out to the sins of the children. Um, and we see that as we go into this passage now, chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. Abraham, Abimelech, and Sarah. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. So he moved out. He was near, he was near Mamre. And after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he moved out into the Negev, a sort of desert area. And for a while he stayed in Gerar. And there... Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Now, I'm going to stop right here and just clarify where we are geographically. We're around where um, the, um, uh, the Palestinians are right now, uh, near, in Mount Sinai, near the, the water side of the, of, of the, uh, near the Mediterranean. And these are the Philistines. So Abimelech is, is uh, one of the kings of the Philistines. Um, uh, and we'll see that about three chapters onward. I'm just giving you a heads up now that this, these are the Philistines we're talking about. Philistines were very advanced, high culture, um, uh, pagan to the core, but, uh, but very, uh, very advanced, uh, very powerful, and very industrious and inventive. Um, so he's staying in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you're as good as a dead because one of the women you have taken, she is a married woman. Now, Abimelech had not gone near her. So he said, Lord, are you going to destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say he is my brother? I have done this with a clear, a clear conscience and clean hands. And then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I've kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return this man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you when you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. This is um, the second time that Abraham's given away his wife, basically. First time uh, to Pharaoh. Uh, same reason, you're afraid you'd be killed. Now, uh, lest we be too quick to judge him, it's a horrible thing and he should have never done it. There's no doubts on that. But lest we be quick to judge him, he, he could have been killed, okay? He probably would have been killed to get his wife. Um, and, uh, and so there are pressures there that lest we say, oh, I would never do that, say there's pressures there, okay? Shouldn't have done it, wrong, horrible sin, and yet, um, and yet he did. So Abraham, so, so why, is this, why is this in here? Um, we're going to see, this, this sort of links up, um, we find later that Isaac does the same thing. Again, the sins of the father get visited onto the children. Who knows if he may have even joked about this, or certainly the stories were told, but Isaac probably knew what was going on, okay? Um, and, uh, but this occurs before Isaac was born. But it's the second time, and Abraham's afraid, and he gives his wife, and, and Sarah participates by saying, he's my brother. And uh, God... Um, so God struck, um, the Pharaoh, okay, and, um, 
uh, and then heal them when, when they run out. This time, God comes to Abimelech ahead of time. There's something for us to see here that God deals with people according to their intent also. Abimelech did not know, and maybe Abimelech would have never killed him or anything, but he, he certainly took him at her in innocence and uh, of, of him knowing that she, it was his, his uh, wife. And so God comes to him and keeps him, I've done this to, to keep you from sinning against me. And so Abimelech does pay attention to this, and we're going to see he gives back to Sarah. But we got to understand here, you know, and why is this here is, I, why it happened before, and then now Abraham's been a believer now for like 15 years, uh, since he, this, that, that time when he received the promise and the blessing. And, uh, and he's still at, he still has the same problems. And again, it's, being a believer does not in and of itself change you. It does endow you with the Holy Spirit. It changes us at a fundamental level, but changes a process also. And, um, Many of our sinful characteristics and nature and stuff carry over into a new life. And uh, fortunately for us as believers, we have the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit uh, is active in anybody who becomes a believer. But as Jesus said, the Holy Spirit did not dwell with believers until the New Testament times, till he gave himself as a sacrifice and sent the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, the Comforter. So we have much more power to resist than, than Abraham did. But um, we still fall. But the point is, is that it is falling. It is wrong. And God works to change it in our lives. Let's keep on going with Abraham. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned his officials. And when they told, he told them all that happened, they were very much afraid. Okay, so it's one of the purposes here in God. Um, and God works his purpose even through our sin. Not that we should ever say that sin is good because God brings good out of it because it's not good. But here we see there's a fear of his fit from his officials. We see Abimelech, so they are going to treat Abraham well because of this. Um, the name Abimelech called to Abraham in and said, "Why have you done this to us? How have I wronged you that you've brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? What have you done to me that that this should never should never be done?" And Abimelech asked Abraham, "What is your reason for doing this?" And Abraham replied, I said to myself, there's surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, the not of my mother, and she, beca- and she became my wife. And when God um, said to me, everywhere, uh, and when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. And then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah to his wife to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you. And before all who are with you, you are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his female slaves so they could have children, children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So we, we get the story here, the, the thousand shekels, by the way, we translate in today's term, a million dollars. It's a huge amount of money. Um, and, uh, uh, well, actually probably several hundred thousand dollars, I guess, probably, probably closer in today's 2021 terms. Um, but... Um, uh, he pays a price for dishonoring her in the site, even though he just didn't physically dishonor her. Just the fact that this is to show that that he's uh, he's it's a payment of an offense type of thing, and so um, and he lets them settle wherever they want. And so we, we see this, and we see Abraham's response here, um, a sort of casuistry, uh, sort of uh, justifying what well, she really is my sister. I mean, my half sister, which is totally beside the point. Okay. This is someone who's trying to justify their lying, okay? And we do that all the time. The I say is because um, even when we know we're wrong, there's a real tendency to sort of try to cover it up. And, and Abraham, Abraham knows that he's going to get his wife back. He knows everything's right. He could come clean, but he still, I, I, you know, I said, surely there's no fear of God in this place. I mean, I was only doing the righteous thing. Yeah, I, there's no fear of God. You know, I, 
I, I'm just, we do that same thing, okay? So, and part of what this tells me too is, I'm just not real sure how much Abraham really overall learned in the lesson here. Just, um, he, um, somewhat of a disappointment in this situation. So, um, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. And as he had said, the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. And Abraham gave him the name Isaac, which means laughter, to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. And when Abraham was a hundred years old, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said to him, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have ever said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have bore him a son in his old age. And so here we get the, the miracle, the miracle of the child, the child of the promise, the birth of the baby. Um, if you look at this laughter, joy that comes out of that laughter, the, the promise of something impossible, the miracle that occurs, um, you can see... Uh, in many ways, the life of uh, Abraham uh, prefigures, uh, it, it, he's, he's in, in a sense an earthly image of God the Father, okay? So uh, it, not to get too detailed in the comparisons and stuff, but here, here's a child born of the promise to Sarah who's beyond the age, just like Christ was born uh, and miraculously um, uh, without a father, an earthly father. But here we have Abraham who was as good as, whose body was as good as dead and and the baby being born. Um, and so we see that this laughter, the joy that he brings Sarah and Abraham, and, um, and he's not the first child. Uh, there's the second child, Ishmael, in the background, and that's gonna come on, but, but there's this great joy of, of, of laughter that, that people can really rejoice with, or somebody you know that has waited so long for something, so, and it comes in and we rejoice with them. And that's what's, that's, so the name reminds you always of God loves us. He cares for us. He wants to have joy with us. Uh, the child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abram held a great feast. But Sarah saw the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abram was mocking. And she said to Abram, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abram greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed for, about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. So God promises to take care of the child, but does tell Abram to listen to his wife and send away Hagar and Ishmael. Ishmael's about 13 years old now. Um, and, um, and that's a hard thing. I mean, very, very harsh. And yet God has promised Abraham, I will take care of your Hagar and I will take care of Ishmael. And so she, he sends him away. In fact, we see here um, early the next morning, we'll talk about that in a bit. Early the next morning, Abram took um, some uh, food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. And he set them on her shoulders and sent her off with the boy. And she went on her way, wandered in the desert of Bathsheba. And as you see, the text changes now, too. I was not very good in transposing this. Um, when the water and the skin were gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes, and she sent him off and sat him down with the bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. And God heard the boy crying. And the angel said, called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy, lift the boy up and take him by the hand and I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And the boy, when the boy grew up, he lived in the desert and became an archer. And when he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got him a wife from Egypt. So we see a lot of stuff here. So first thing early in the morning. So, um, Abraham didn't want to do it, but when Abraham knew he was supposed to do something, he did it, okay? So there, there are problems with Abraham, but there are great traits with Abraham. And 
this was not an easy thing. We're going to find out that he does the same thing for Isaac when he has to offer Isaac early in the morning, he gets up. Uh, so here early in the morning, he gets up to send away his son, his, his firstborn son by, by Hagar. Um, with Isaac early in the morning, he gets up to sacrifice Isaac. So we see that repetitive that, 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 that Abraham, while fearful, is also resolute in areas. Uh, he had to be brave in many areas because he attacked and uh, outnumbered, attacked and rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, rescued uh, Lot and others at times. So he's a brave man, too. So fearfulness and bravery, they're not, they're not opposites in some ways because uh, you can be fearful about one thing and brave about another. And so I, I, I don't know that Abraham was willing to risk his life in an attack on, uh, you know, to rescue Lot, and yet he's afraid he's going to die if he tells King that his wife is his wife. So you get this mishmash. It's very, it's like he's almost like human, you know. We're like that, aren't we? We're very strong in some areas, and we fall in other areas, and we see that here. Um, so she sent away, and she has a bag of, a, a bag of water. Um, now, I actually read some fictional stories of this thing, and, and uh, I, I won't say the author. The author makes it like Abram's really noble, and he's actually not only sending her off, but behind her there's a train of food and caravan and stuff like that. And that's not, None of that's here, okay? This is, I have to say, he could have sent her off better. I, I'm not real sure why it was like this, except maybe he totally trusted God to just do something out there, or, or maybe he just was overwhelmed. I, I don't know, but he sends her out there. She, she, um, um, the skin of water's gone. She sits him under a tree and goes off. I can't watch the boy die. Now, this is a 13-year-old boy. It's not, it's not a kid. We get the impression from the story narrative that he's much younger, or apparently acts much younger, but a 13-year-old boy she's setting him down to sort of almost like her carrying him. Maybe he was more of a frail kid. I don't know. But at 13 years old, it, it's still hard for a mother to carry a boy for any length of time, especially in the desert. But she goes out there and she sits there and she cries and the boy cries. And the angel hears the boy's cry and God comes to um, Hagar and said, you know, why are you doing this? And uh, take the boy by the, by the hand because I will make him a great nation. Uh, and she, he opens her eyes and there's a well of water sitting there. So, so wells and water symbolize, um, life. Water is, is the thing. In fact, I, I gave a talk this past week. The first thing I, uh, on my, the work I do for, uh, for NASA, recycling water in space and, uh, also, uh, dealing with swine, uh, swine production, pigs, uh, lagoons and, uh, one of the things I noted is water is precious. Water, and when you see the water imagery there, you know water is life. You know? And um, that's why Jesus was able to say, I'm the living waters. Now, there's three types of waters that you can get there. You get water from a cistern. That's dead water. A cistern is like a big tank, just holds water. And, and that water stays there. And then there's well water. And that's good, but not the best. And then there's the freely flowing water, the water of life. Um, that goes in here and this is the well water you know so um god opens a well to her and she drinks satisfied and um he grew up in the desert and she got him a wife and ishmael is indeed the uh father of the arab nations so um so he's so uh ishmael marries an egyptian so egyptians are not arabs they're egyptian and uh and they'll tell you that even the part of the pan-arab league um because there, there's a fraternal relationship there because of this. And so the Arab nations um, have been blessed. Uh, they're a problem, but there have been, the Arab nations have been blessed by God. And God has told them, told us that he will make them into a great nation. He has. And they, there are very great nations there, great difficulties. And, and, and again, what, what God blesses most, uh, Satan also works to curse most, okay, and to, and to twist, okay. And, and so... Um, uh, to give an example, the, the great industrial might and organization and productivity of the people of Germany was toward, turned towards the evil of exterminating the Jewish race. Okay? It's great good, great evil. Um, uh, nuclear energy, great good. Um, nuclear bomb, great evil. So we get, we get this, say that sin is a parasite. And so the greatest sin is going to come out of the greatest good because it, it can only it can only twist what it has. It, can, it can't make anything and it can only corrupt it. And so 
Um, and, and so this is going to come into play in a little bit, and it comes into play throughout Scripture when we talk about sin. We wonder why such a thing would happen, and, and that's because um, God intended great good, and mankind twisted it, and, and the devil used it in great evil. But again, God, the master, can bring even good out of that evilness. Not that, again, the evil is ever good, but he uses the good that he salvages from that evil and brings it out of greater good. Okay, Abimelech again. <laughs> so uh, at that time, Abimelech and Fico, you know, commander of his forces, said to, uh, or Fico, come, uh, forces says to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now, it's very obvious God is blessing Abraham, okay? And they see that. And Fico, by the way, is the commander of the Philistine army. We're going to see that with, again, with Isaac. Um, now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show me in my country, show me and the country where you now reside as a foreigner, uh, the same kindness that I've shown you. And Abraham said, I swear it. Now Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Now again, water plays a key role in, the, in a lot of things in early Genesis. This is a desert land and the wells sacrifice blessing. Mm-hmm. I, 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 the wells uh, represent blessing, excuse me. Um, and um, he says, uh, but Abimelech said to him, I don't know, know uh, uh, who has done this. You did not tell me and I did not hear about it. I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech and the two men made a treaty. And Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? by themselves, and you reply, accept these seven new lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug out this well. So this place is called Beersheba because two men swore an oath there. So so we see here that there's a, a well. And again, the well is essential because there is some um, scrub grass and stuff out there for the uh, flocks to eat, but they need water too. And so this, this is essential for them to live out there. And the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. So actually it says here, but we'll see again later that the, it's the Philistines that uh, are there. And Abram planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God, and Abram stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. A tamarisk tree is, I think, a big spreading tree, very much like an oak tree. Before he was at the Oaks at Mamre. So I, I think one of the things this represents is that he was there for a while. He, this is where he lived. This is where he resided. And so um, uh, he has settled down in foreigner in a foreign land. Still part of Canaan. The Philistines lived in the land of Canaan, but this very southern part, the Gaza part uh, of, of Canaan. And um, here we see he's at peace. He's at peace with people that are not... They're only at peace with him because they know that God is sort of staying their hand. In other words, if I do something to Abraham, I'm going to get in trouble. But it's very cordial, and there are treaties and and, and things, and there's a structure there. Um, But again, I think this is a lot of this is a setup, uh, not a setup, but a prelude is probably a better thing to what again happens with Isaac later on. So, so let's just hold that in abeyance. We'll come to it next week or the week after. And um, let's go on to the next section. Genesis 22. Uh, Sometime later, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham? And uh, Abraham replied, here I am. And God said to him, take your son, your only son, the son you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. And early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over to the bear. And we will worship and then we will come back to you. And Abraham took wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he said to himself, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abram, I said to his father, Abram, father, yes, my son, Abram replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abram answered, 
God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So there's a lot here. Um, so the proponents would say, uh, uh, some liberal proponents and argue, would argue that um, several things. One is that um, this story just shows that the God that Abram believed in was no different from the gods around him that demanded eating and sacrifice. Um, uh, I don't think that's the story here. I think the story here is that um, God does not demand human sacrifice in one sense, in another sense, he does, okay? Um, our sins have, have a penalty of death attached to them, so there is a sacrifice required for, for, for the rebellion against God. But God does not require other humans to sacrifice humans, okay? There is not, God is not pleased with the sacrifice. The sacri God never has required the sacrifice of humans, okay? That, that humans' life are forfeit because of sin is true. But that God demands a sacrifice of humans is false. But in this sense, God did this. And this one time to prefigure what God himself has gone, is going through, and we'll talk about it in a bit, he calls to Abraham, okay? And, and the reason he does this is Abraham is the beginning of the chosen nation that will be the womb of Christ, okay? Israel will be the womb of Christ. And he's trying to help them understand what is going on in, um, for lack of a better term, in God's life. <laughs> God doesn't have a life like we do, but, but, but uh, it, it, what, what's happening uh, in eternity, what, what God has done in eternity. And so uh, I said, sometime later, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abram, here I am, he replied. So we don't know how old uh, Isaac was. Okay, We think that Isaac was probably a teenager. Okay, For one thing, he carried the wood on his back. Okay, uh, and, and he carried it um, up a mountainside. And so it doesn't make sense for that because you don't use a little wood to sacrifice a ram. It's a lot, it's a lot of wood. So he's probably a teenager, might even been a young man, um, but, but probably certainly at least 13, 14, probably more like 18, 19, you think. Um, still obviously very close to his father and loving of his father. And, and, and God says to him, I, I say that because in, in our age, sometimes the teenage kids can be a little rough, but that's not what we're talking about here, okay? Um, and God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. So so early the next morning, Abram got up and loaded the donkey. Now, you know Abram did not want to do this. This was something he dreaded. It would be very easy, and you see throughout Scripture when it says, oh, here, stay and have a meal. Oh, and then stay a little later. And then it's very easy to delay things. We know that in our lives. It's very easy for us to put off things. Um, I have to say, uh, Isaac was everything to Abram, okay? I, I don't, and I can't say this definitively, but my guess is Isaac was even more important than Sarah was to him at that point. Um, he was the promise of continuance, you know, at the promise of eternity. In the, in the land and the promises, and also the promise of God's faithfulness, that God was really going to answer his prayers. And now God is giving him all this, and God says, this has become your God. This has become your idol. I doesn't say that, but the implication there is, who comes first, me or what I've given you? Do you worship me for who I am? Or because of what I give you, blessing. That's that's what's at stake here, and that's really what a sacrifice is. A sacrifice is, I, God, you are more important to me than the gifts you give me. And what you give me, I I give back freely because nothing that you've given me is more important than who you are. And so God puts that to the test with Abram. So that's why there is a call for the sacrifice here. It's not that God wants a human sacrifice. It's that this is the most precious thing in Abraham's life. And God is pushing on that and saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Almost like with Peter, you know, when after his resurrection, he's around the lake and says, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? He says, 
Abraham, do you love me? Early the next morning, Abraham gets up, takes two of his servants and his son Isaac, and they cut enough wood for the burnt offering and they set out for the place God had told him about. Three days journey. All this time, Abram's thinking about this. Three days, three nights. It sounds familiar. Three days, three nights, he journeys. Um, and then he tells the servants, stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over, and we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, it says in Romans that, that um, Romans 4, that, that uh, Abraham believed that God was able to do what he w- would do and that he would raise Isaac from the dead. And figuratively speaking, it says he did do that. Okay, um, so we know we know the story. Most people, even if they don't don't know their Bible very well, know about the story. Isaac doesn't actually die, but it, it comes to the point of dying, and um, and so um, he says in faith, "We will worship, and then we will come back to you. We will come back to you, not I. We will come back to you." And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. And place it on his son Isaac, and that must have been a hard thing in and of itself to see a son carrying the wood for his own sacrifice. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, I said to Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. This is a word picture of, again, God the Father and God the Son. This is a picture of sacrifice. When they reached the place God told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from from heaven, Abram, Abram, here here I am, he replied. Now, um, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Um, So here we have... They reach the place. He binds Isaac. Now, there's a real question here because the chances of a even a strong man being able to bound uh, someone in his late teenage years unwillingly is very unlikely. So there's a willingness to be bound that's implied here. Um, If there was a struggle, I think I think it would be here. I don't think there was. I think that. there was a submission to what was happening here. Um, there was a test in here for Isaac also, not just for Abram, but, but, but that's not the focus. This isn't the focus at all. The focus is on God the Father offering his son, Jesus, on this. So this is, this, he reached out his hands, he's ready to sacrifice. And uh, there are some great art on this that, that as he raises his hands to, and to plunge the knife the angel you know stops the hand from coming down and um i don't lay a hand on the boy don't do anything to him now that i know that you fear god because you have not withheld your son your only son and um i think um here in the 20th chapter uh 20 um 21st chapter, I, I uh, again have the wrong title on there. Uh, the, uh, the, the 22nd chapter of Genesis. It, we're not very far in. I mean, you got to realize this is like 20 minutes worth of reading, maybe 30 minutes into Genesis. And we see God's heart revealed and the willingness to sacrifice his only son. God never has asked any of us to do something he has not done himself. In the offering of Christ, the offering of Christ, his only son, is a sacrifice for humanity. God shows us how much he loves us, shows us that how important we are. Um, so at risk of a, a very big digression, let me talk about this a bit. Um, people buy things. Um, and when we buy something, we give money or something, forget get something, and we, we only trade if we think what we get has greater value than what we're giving. Okay, the, the exchange 
is is at best only even, but almost always we get something more, not not even. We never give a give something for less. Okay, if we're truly trading, we never we don't give away something less valuable, something more value uh, for uh, for something more valuable for something of less value. Um, I remember when I went to Egypt, I bought a computer and one of my uh, Chris. I spent all my savings to buy my own personal computer. Uh, which uh, cost me $2,500 back in 87. It'd be like spending $25,000 today or something. I bought the computers, cleaned out my savings, bought it because I needed it for work and they weren't going to give me one because computers were too new. And I got it and went there and I got a surge protector for Christmas. Yeah, I get a lot of work stuff for my for presents. And I and when I got there, I was showing them my new computer and I was showing the surge protector I bought in Egypt and how you could actually plug it in in condition 220 volt um, uh, the uh, voltage uh, converter. You could condition 220 volt, or you could do and have it convert down to 110. And I showed him that it was really neat. And then I plugged in my computer and I started it up, and it blew up. Okay, um, the surge protector blew up. Okay, at the time I didn't know what blew up, and when I say blew up, I mean blew up. It was like a hand grenade going off. Nothing spewed around, but this bit, literally a cloud of smoke like this big went up to the ceiling. What actually I found out later is something called the thyristor that was about that big, literally exploded and blew up. It was all black and twisted. Um, so it was a uh, it was a hundred dollar surge protector on a twenty five hundred dollar computer, and I was so horrified because I had left the converter. I hadn't switched to one ten. I kept it on two twenty, and that's what had happened. It went through and blew the converter. And so I, I unplugged, I put it on 110, I unplugged it and plugged back in the computer and I turned it on and the computer worked fine and worked all the way through Egypt and everything. So, so that was well worth it, okay? Um, $100 surge protector protected my $2,500. Because that's what you design. You want something cheaper to protect something more valuable. But when God gave his son, he gave something more valuable for something less valuable. To redeem us, it'd be like the computer blowing up to save the surge protector. It's, it, it doesn't happen. It's, you should, that's not how you, that's not what you want to happen. And yet God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might perish but have eternal life because God loves us that much. Abraham prefigures that. Abraham is willing to give what is most precious in his life for the God he loves, okay? The, 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 the gift is not the most important thing the giver is. And so he says that here. So, so Jose and I had an interesting discussion before uh, this, this talk, and I actually had it with my brother as we were coming in. Did, did, did uh, indeed uh, Abraham sacrifice Isaac? And the answer is, I think, yes and no. Okay, so, so sometimes there's the, the action, the, 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 um, the spiritual reality is not the same as the physical reality. So, so when did Christ win the victory over sin? I would say he won it in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. He was changed to that point. He went to the cross willingly. Now, the actual sacrifice of Christ occurred on that cross, the physical sacrifice, but the real sacrifice occurred in Gethsemane when Christ sacrificed his will. And the reason I say that is because God calls each of us to sacrifice. And we often say, well, I sacrifice. It's, it's, I've given it all to God. Um, but we don't really give it all to God, okay? And, and we can kid ourselves in that. And, and Abraham could have kidded himself in this. It was necessary for Abraham to have that knife raised. Um, so he reached out and took his hand, reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, it said. He, it was in his hand. He was ready to do it, to really know that he did that. And I tell you, he loved Isaac. He loved Isaac just as much as he did before and after, but it was love in a different way. It was love as a gift of God, not as his God himself. And so that's what God wants from us too. And then I, I, I spent time on this. 
I, I, I probably am going to come back to this at the very beginning because it's too important to pass over that God, there are there is something in your life. Uh, and 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 I'm not saying that there'll be one thing after another, but there may be. There's something in your life now that God says, sacrifice. This is, am I more important than this gift I've given you? Or this sin that you're toying with? Because that's not a gift from God. It's 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 a twisting of a gift from God. And uh, and we give that and we grow in our relationship with God because of that. Uh, and then maybe another one comes up, but maybe not. I mean, I that that's I don't know what else came up in Abraham. Maybe this was such a great test that he never had much of a problem with that problem anymore. I guess is probably not. It's just that that's that this was so monumental that his the, the course of his life was so changed that nothing came close to the temptation of this one thing. Um, but God might deal. God deals with us differently. But I do know this: He wants to make sure that you know, and not only he knows, but that you know that he's more important in your life than the gift. And so there will come a time when he calls for you to say, you know, Bill, I want you to take this and I want you to kill it. I want you to sacrifice it to me. And the question is, do I trust God? Um, And I have to say that that's come up quite a few times in my life. Um, and even now I struggle with things. And so I don't know, I, I think I'm one of the ones that God is always going to say the next thing because I'm a slower learner maybe than Abraham is. And he's gonna work with me till he gets it through my thick skull. Uh, and so, but you know, there's a love there. There's a real desire. God woos us gently. Some of the reasons why I think it takes so much longer is is um is i i just need to grow more you know sometimes that can be an excuse too obviously i'm too weak don't don't do this to me god but you know god pushes us and pushes us and pushes us i have to say in many ways god has been very merciful to me and not asked me to do this kind of sacrifice let's say with my family Uh, he's been very merciful in those areas um and he's always merciful um but sometimes we see that mercy more times than others. When it's a hard mercy, when it's a severe mercy, and there's a book called severe, A Severe Mercy, which I highly recommend. Um, sometimes God has mercy on us, but taking, again, the gift that we love most away from us to show us the giver is more important. So Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horn. So he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah-Jireh. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And the angel of the Lord called out to Abraham from from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you made your descendants as numerous as I I I wish... Because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make you your make you your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as a stand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba again, where the the well was dug. Um, so I sort of stumbled there because it keeps on saying, and I have not dealt with this, uh, you've not withheld your son, your only son. And yet earlier he says, take your son and, and uh, Ishmael and um, let him go with Hagar. And so, uh, but this was the only son of the promise. This was the son, this was the son that Abraham knew carried the prophetic utterance, I will bless all nations with you. So, so, uh, so, um, but I want to point out this. So, so set, it's, and that's Christ. That's a prophetic thing. But God cares for all his children. He cared for Ishmael too. And he blessed Ishmael. And Ishmael has been blessed. And, and God loves us and cares for us. And he wants us to come be. So we are children of the slave woman, as, as Paul says, of Hagar in Galatians. And, and God wants to graft us into the kingdom of his son. Okay, and make us children of the promise. Um, so there are two 
human races in a sense today. There's the fallen human race and there's the redeemed human race. There is one human race. And I, I hesitate to say it this way because, but, but there is an eternal uh, destiny out there. In fact, uh, Augustine called it the city of God, the city of man and the city of God. And the question becomes, which city are you in? Okay. And God reaches out his hand in blessing all day long to us indiscriminately, not of one city or the other. But ultimately, when we die, uh, our journey continues on in one of these two paths. And so he reaches out over and over again and says, come into the promised land. Come into the kingdom of my son. Come and be with me and don't go your own way. And so there's always this reach. And, and, and the question is, is, will there be a separation from God in eternity? Yes, I think scripture teaches very clearly that those who do not choose to follow God will be allowed to go their own way. They'll be in a, an eternity of, of, of disaster. And, uh, and, and you see this, some of this, when you hear things like, I'd rather party in hell than uh, with my friends and being the kingdom of God. And that's a misunderstanding what's going to happen in eternity because all good is, is taken. The good is God's. And so your friends are not your friends in hell. Trust me, they're not your friends. And you will see that. Sometimes God pulls aside the veil now so we see that our friends really aren't our friends. There's, there's, deep, there's a deep selfishness in us even after we become believers uh, and, uh, and, and, and non-believers also. And there's great love because God shares his, the sun rises every day, the rain falls, God loves us, he cares for believers and unbelievers but he woos us for eternity in this. And I say this because God gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God, we become most like God when we give. God gave his only begotten son. And when we suffer, as God suffered to give his only begotten son, there's a suffering God calls you to. And the suffering is this, your will or God's will. Will you do it your way or his way? Abraham had a chance to do it his way. He messed it up. He did it his way. And God still stuck with him and held on and actually blessed his way, even though, but or did not curse it, I guess is a better way maybe to put it, because it wasn't the, the true blessing. The true blessing was through Isaac. And um, God, God never lets go. God never lets go. He calls to you today, he calls to us, he calls to me. Are you willing to give up what's most precious to you? Are you willing to love me more than anyone? And you are the only one with that answer. I will say one more thing, that the three days it took for Abraham to get to that place to sacrifice was a time of sorrow when, that again, prefigures Christ in his sacrifice. There was a separation from God on the cross. I do not think that Christ was separated from God for three days. I think that the, the, the sundering of sin was, was there on the cross. And this, the separation was real, but it was almost instantaneous. Um, but I think there was a, there was the sorrow that God knew coming up to that. We experienced it. We could only take three days of it. God knew thousands of years in advance. God knew from all eternity that there would be a sacrifice for creating people that had free will. So I, 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 before the foundation of the world, it says Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And I believe that God knew before he even created humans that there would be a sacrifice paid if he did create them, uh, if he truly would be redeemed. Because there is no way he could create people with free will that people would not exercise their own will. And yet he calls us into redemption. So I would encourage you to uh, talk, give me a call or someone at First Church Ministries or someone at a place as Jose, Bob, and uh, talk if you have questions about this. But God loves you. He cares for you. He's given everything for you. And that's prefigured in this passage. Probably the, perhaps the greatest passage uh, of the Old Testament.
um, prefiguring the sacrifice of Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you uh, that you loved us so much, that you cared for us so much, that you watch over us. Lord, I just pray that you would be glorified in our life. I just pray that you would uh, draw us closer to you, help us love you more, help us not love the gifts you've given us more than you yourself are. We love you. And Lord, I just pray that you would draw us uh, in joy to you, that we would rejoice that we have found someone who loves us so much and cares for us so much. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would dwell with us and empower us and strengthen us and show us that love and open our eyes that we might see the glory of God and the love of God. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.